Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, January 29th. Before we get into our Australian Open recap, have to remind you listeners that this podcast is brought to you by our friends at Diadem. As you've heard all week long, Diadem Sports, with their racket technology, with their strings, really on the forefront of all things new in tennis technology entering these 2020s. And look, I think we've been a bit too cavalier. We understand at Cracked Rackets, choosing your racket is such a personal choice. You need to be comfortable with the gear you're using. Otherwise, there is no way you are going to produce your best tennis. There's no way you're going to be able to slug it out like Dominic Team was able to do over the course of four sets in knocking off Rafael Nadal. And we really think our friends at Diadem will provide you a racket to bring your tennis uh, game to the next level. It's working for pros like Sekou Bangora, like Carousel. It can work for you and even... Even better, what's working for you, our promo code. You go to their website, you like what you see, you plug in the code CR50, 50% off your first order. So not only are you going to be leaving feeling comfortable about your tennis game, maybe even, hey, go demo a racket first if you don't trust us, and we promise you will enjoy your demo experience. You're going to want to buy that racket, and then you'll get to use that CR50 promo code. So shout out to our friends at Diadem Tennis. That being said, what a day 10 of action we were treated to. It's obviously quarterfinal time for the men uh, and women. It was part two of those quarterfinals. So we knew we were going to ex- uh, going to see a high level of tennis. You don't make the second week this deep in a slam without showing that high level. But boy, was the tennis spectacular today. And joining me to break it all down, he's been my co-host of this mini break podcast throughout these two weeks of the Australian Open, a former tennis and men's tennis star and a man who affectionately has helped uh, me make these podcasts the mini lunch breaks James Foster McDonald Jamie welcome back I'm glad to see you were able to find some time to eat today yeah here we are on the lunch break once again been flying around the midwest now back uh, where I'm supposed to be and yeah I'm excited to talk tennis with you I agree. Back where you're supposed to be, indeed. I didn't have the chance to run through yesterday's uh, quarterfinal results with you. We will talk about the results of those actions when we preview our Day 11 play at the end. But coming into today, I think we both agree the match we have to start with. The biggest upset on the day, number one seed Rafael Nadal going down to the number five seed Dominic team. And look, at this point of the tournament, as I mentioned, uh, we expected a high level of tennis. These are two guys by seed that, you know, they followed the results they were supposed to. We were expecting this sort of quarterfinal matchup. That being said, Jamie, just on a surface level, the tennis we were treated to in this match, spectacular. Oh, phenomenal level of tennis. And and especially as team got closer and closer to the finish line, we saw that level from Nadal rise even more and make Dominic truly earn it. So yeah, a great, a great win. And ultimately, I mean, I know we had talked about a lot about this one, you know, like you mentioned, people were talking about this match. Hey, this is the one we're watching for when we get to the quarters. We were even previewing that when we did our initial preview of the draw. I don't know about you, but in mine, I was at least bold enough to put team going through this match in my turnitopia. Were you as well? 
I believe we both had team knocking off Kyrgios in this match. I had team advancing. I had Kyrgios knocking out Nadal in the previous round. Yeah, I think it was either. I can't remember if I had Nadal or Kyrgios. I can't remember which I put. But anyway, yeah, I had team moving through. So it feels good to get one, right? Right? <laughs> yeah, it, for sure. And look, we will talk all about this Dominic team 7-6-7-6-4-6-7-6 win over Nadal. Uh, but I think we really have to break it down set by set because through the first set of this match, Jamie, it was Rafa who raced out to the early break lead. And, you know, generally, and the commentators always make a point of pointing this out, and I think it's very true, Rafa's a different player when he gets an early break lead. He can be that much more dangerous. He can afford to snap an inside-in forehand at will, to go inside-out with that forehand to your forehand side, where as a righty, you least expect him to go. He can just take more chances. And so for Dominic team off the bat to break Rafa when Rafa served for that first set right then was when I knew okay I think we're in for something special tonight yeah I mean this is an exceptional and particularly that moment too right he gets the break point and he he's able to capture it right in that first set alone Nadal only had that one break opportunity but took advantage of it um team produced four for himself and got the break one of four there so I mean then when it got on on equal footing once again came down to the tie break yeah, and I think the other thing Dominic Team did particularly well in that first set, and you could tell he made a point of doing it, he was coming to the net. He was Any Rafa slice he saw, he was cutting that ball off, taking time away from Rafa. The last thing you want to do is give Rafa Nadal a chance to get back into a point he's on the defensive in. And for Team, it's just, I, I really think uh, what makes Dominic Team so you know, such a perfect matchup to take on Rafa Nadal. Why the tennis between them gets better and better each and every time they play is because Dominic Team is one of those rare guys who is not only physically fit enough to be able to play, you know, six feet behind the baseline, play retrieving tennis when Rafa's slugging, you know, cross-court, cross-court, down the line, cross-court, cross-court, down the line, playing all of his typical patterns. But Team's also not only quick enough to uh, hang with Rafa, but he is the type of athlete that even six feet behind the baseline, the power he can generate. You know, the Rafa forehand on a hard court, it doesn't bite the same way it does on the clay, and I think these Australian open courts, the balls in particular, have played a little bit slower this year, and I think because of that, even when Rafa was taking his forehand to the one-handed team backhand something on a surface level, we would circle as the obvious matchup for Rafa to attack. Dominic team had enough time to set his feet, and when he turns into a backhand, it doesn't matter where he is on the court. He's neutralizing his opponent. Yeah, I mean, the weight the team can put behind his ground strokes, even that backhand side is just ridiculous. And, you know, you talk about Nadal, you know, trying to use that pattern across court lefty forehand to the one hander, of course, something we've seen for literally decades now that he's done to Roger Federer. Ultimately, like you mentioned, not able to employ it quite as well, especially against a guy like Team who will step up and rip it, right? He'll neutralize that and say, no, I'm back in this point. It doesn't automatically grant Nadal the advantage that it does or that we've seen it do for him in the past. And so I think Team did a phenomenal job of standing up to what we knew Nadal would do um, and then took it one step further and, and wins this match. Well, I think the point that epitomized it in that first set, it was the set point for team. Uh, I believe he won that first set tiebreaker 7-3. So 6-3, they play a long rally. Rafa slices a ball back after uh, team got him stretched on the forehand side. And Dominic team runs all the way around that ball, even though it landed in the ad side corner, and hits a forehand winner to seal off the first set. That's the sort of athleticism that is, it's not unique because a couple of other guys can do it, but it's, it's so difficult to find. And team's one of those few guys who can reach that gear 
So then he takes the first set 7-6, right? And you're thinking to yourself, okay, you know, for Dominic Team in any upset recipe, you need to win the first set. But then for him over the next, you know, he goes down a break again in the second set, and he gets it right back. And, like, it's that he went up 4-0. Rafa races back to 4-all in the tiebreak. Team wins those next three points. It's that whenever he needed a first serve, and in this match, he only made 59% of his first serves, but he won 78% of those points. It feels like in the biggest moments, he was always able to find them. And I know Rafa broke team four times, team three breaks, uh... But it just, Dominic Team. this is the sort of performance I think we have been waiting to see from him on a, on a non-French Open major. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, you talk about the serve and how effective it was, particularly in that second set. Team was completely dominant on his first serve. He wins 16 of 17 first serve yeah. points in that second set. So, yeah, just proving exactly what you're talking about, right? In the big moments and in the times where he needed some free points off the first serve, or at least to get himself set up in a good position, that's exactly what his serve was able to do. And, and ultimately, that, that helped him get through that second set. How many times can a player say, I only made 49% of my first serves, I won 39% of my second serve, point seven of 18, and I won a set against Rafa? That's yeah, freaking that's impossible to do. So yeah, for Dominic team, and then the, just the last part of this piece and we can move, uh, of this match, and then we can move on. The fact that he goes down a break uh, in that fourth set, you know, the fact or that that he goes down a break, excuse me, that he goes up a break, that he serves from the mat for the match, and Rafa is able to break right back. That would break a lesser player. We saw Tennis Sandgren. What happened? He blows seven match points against Roger Federer. Now, it, I think it's a little disrespectful for Dominic team to say he's the same sort of player. It's the same scenario as Tennis Sandgren as Dominic Team has made a final of a major. He's gone the distance with these sort of guys before. Uh, but for Dominic Team, it's that he showed no fear. He kept slugging away no matter where he was. He tracked down every ball. He showed off, I think, an improving slice. Uh, he went after his forehand. 21 winners, 20 forced errors against only 27 unforced errors. He managed to somehow, you know, dictate against Rafa Nadal. And that, uh, not dictate, but respond in kind to Rafa Nadal. And that is, as we've seen over the past 20 years, one of the hardest things to do in tennis. Yeah, he absolutely did not back down from the challenge. And, and you mentioned the fact he did serve for the match in that position. Ultimately, gets broken by Nadal right there. But, you know, you could tell mentally he knew what he did. You know, he knew he had a, a couple, you know, blunders there. And you saw it too when he had other opportunities. He went for a shot. He'd immediately look to his box and shake his head. He knows, right? And, you know, not only does he know when he messes up, he knows what he has to do to get back. And that's go back to the power slugging game, the incredibly heavy ground strokes, the big ground strokes, and ultimately just standing up to a task like playing Nadal on the big stage. And, and he was able to do it, pulls it out 8-6 in the fourth set breaker. Yeah, a fantastic performance from Dominic Team. We should spend, you know, two seconds on the Rafa component because he's now eliminated. He's going to sit at 19 majors for at least one more slam. I think it was a good performance from Rafa. I just think the fact that Dominic Team was able to beat a Rafa who did play, maybe not his 100% best tennis, but certainly as close to the best tennis as you're going to get from a 33, 34-year-old Rafa, uh, I think it's more a credit to Team's level than saying anything about Rafa declining. And, you know, Rafa still enters the French Open as the favorite despite this loss. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. And ultimately, too, the reason we've spent more time talking about team as opposed to Nadal is because team deserves this win. You know, Nadal, this isn't a true loss for Nadal in my book, because especially when team was, uh, I don't know, when team was really trying to close this match out, Nadal's level, 
it was very high. It was impressive. The things he was doing on the run to keep himself in this match were just spectacular. And, you know, of course, we, we don't expect anything less from the one seed, from a guy who's won so many slams. But given all of that, team was able to rise to the occasion and, and get it done. So in your career record book, I'm looking at Rafa's uh, career Wikipedia stats right now. He's 977 and 197. In your book, he's 977 and 196. You said not I mean, an official loss. No, I mean, it's just in the, you know what I was saying. Yeah, Don't I, go there. Just, in the grand scheme of thing, it's not a loss for somebody. It's a win for team. Get out of here I'm with that. I'm just saying, in Jamie's personal record book, it looks a little different. No, but I think. No, uh, because it, then you'd have to go back and count all of those losses. That was stupid. <laughs> Get out of here. Oh, I thought you'd have fun. Well, yeah, I think what we're most excited about for Dominic team is not only does he get this win, but he sets up a semifinal matchup, the sort of matchup I know we at Cracked Rackets have been waiting for for so long, and it's a non-Federer Nadal-Djokovic semifinal, and that's because we had another young player coming through. You know, it's not a familiar face. Number seven seed Alex Zverev winning the first major quarterfinal of his, or advancing to the first major semifinal of his career, excuse me, knocks off the number 15 seed Stan Wawrinka, 1-6-6-3-6-4-6-2. Now, I know you and I are going to disagree on this match in general, but let's start uh, with that storyline on the top. Alex Virev, thus far, he's won 15 of the 16 sets he's contested. He makes the semifinals of a major for the first time in his career. You could see the relief on his face, and Jamie, it, it, it just feels like this has been so long coming that that he was able to perform in the way that he did. You don't want to say it washes away the complete past, but this is the exact start you would want if you're Alex Virov at the beginning of 2020. Yeah, I mean, look, you could tell it's for him it's just like, okay, it's about time. Right. <laughs> I mean, this is the this is a guy who's been at the top of the game for a while now but has been ultimately criticized over and over again, you know, about his performance in majors, you know, even going back to the Australian Open last year, he, he bows out, um, he was the four seed, he bowed out um, in straight sets to a roundage, unable to even get past the fourth round. Now, this one's got to feel really good for him, especially when, you know, beating a guy who's won this tournament before. That was the funniest part in the post-match co- press conference. They asked you, if you go down 6-1, what were you thinking at that moment? And he was honest. He goes, yeah, I was thinking, ugh, I, like, I, what am I going to tell the press? Another straight set loss, Alex. Like, what, what happened? What went wrong here? And it just, the level of play from him, it shifted. And the number that sticks out the most, uh, the thing that's been the biggest issue with Alex Virov, because you watch his ground strokes for his size, the way he's able to move around the court. No one can deny how special a talent he is, but the serve has always been the issues. And I think that was the thing. It was at ATP Cup, he played 31 service games. He hit 31 double faults. That's just never going to get the job done at the highest levels of Grand Slam tennis, but in this second set of this match, Alex Virev, 18 of 20 on his first serves in, but went 20 for 20 on service points against Stan Wawrinka. And look, is Stan Wawrinka the level of returner of a Medvedev, of a Nadal, of a Djokovic, or I guess, you know, Djokovic or a team even who he's going to see next? No, probably not at this point in his career. But that's just a testament to when all things are clicking for Alex Virev's, you know, game, there's a reason he's been the young up-and-comer for these past five years, and it's because it just everything comes together so beautifully for him when that serve is landing in. Yeah, I mean, Zverev served really well throughout this match, and, and ultimately, even in that first set that he lost 6-1, 
it's not like his serving performance was that bad either. It just got even better throughout the match, right? And, you know, it's something you mentioned. It's something he's even been critical of himself with. He's like, why can't even, I can't even get my serve going? And, but throughout this tournament, you know, his serve has looked phenomenal. And so that sort of progression that we've seen did not stop throughout this match. Yeah, you look at the numbers here. He makes 80% of those first serves, wins 76% of those first serve points. 8 of 19 on the second serve, but for a four-set match to only play 19 second service points, that's a really good number for him. And look, it's not as though he had been taking off dramatic pace from his first serve just to make that shot. His first serve speed average was 127 miles per hour. That's ridiculous. I mean, he is six foot six, but if he's going to play like that with his baseline skills— Again, it's just a reminder of, oh my god, this guy is such a talent. And you look at the other numbers from this match, uh, you know, 34 winners for him against 28 unforced errors. He was so steady, and he just made so many returns deep and in the center of the court or deep, you know, the backhand down the line when he gets stretched on the ad side. As much as Stan wanted to throw in that kick serve, you're almost afraid to serve to that Zverev backhand. I think it was Darren Cahill who at one point referred to it as Djokovician uh, on the broadcast with how Wells Vera was returning. Now, I think this is where you're going to disagree with me. I think you, uh, I, I'm not going to put words into your mouth, but do you think this result was more because of Zverev's performance, more because of Stan's maybe diminishing level after such a tough five-set match against Medvedev, or maybe somewhere in between? I mean, somewhere in between, but I put this more on Stan, um, and because ultimately, this was more on Stan's racket. Um, you know, you look at the first set, Vavrinka was controlling the points, and, and ultimately throughout the match, you know, yes, that changed a little bit, but Vavrinka was still in control of a ton of points that he lost, ultimately. Um, and so when you look at this match, I think that Zverev did a great job in getting across the finish line. And so I think a lot of the weight swings that way because of the fact that it's such a triumph for him. Um, phenomenal just mental ability for him to reset after a first set like that um, and bounce back and then win three, four, and two, you know, pretty convincingly in those other ones. But really, Vavrinka did a lot of things wrong. Um, I think, I mean, there's a lot of places we can go here. But ultimately, I mean, just in terms of hitting clean ground strokes, he just, he didn't play to the level he did in the first set, right? And the first set was nearly perfect. So I understand you can't always match that level, but there were a lot of missed opportunities. I think one thing we mentioned is that Nadal and team do really well coming to the net when it's not just a setup perfectly approach sort of scenario, coming to the net when you see your opponent is hurt going to the slice way on the run. Vavrinka missed countless opportunities of Zverev doing that because really in a lot of, a lot of these rallies, Zverev was 10 feet behind the baseline, just making one more ball, just slicing it back. And while someone like myself might appreciate that sort of game style, the problem is that shouldn't, that should never, never be Zverev's A game. He was able to make that work because Vavrinka was missing. If he does that against a team who played like he did today, he will lose in straight sets and it will not be close. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. 
So my counter to that is, and this gets back to the it's somewhere in between, because I don't disagree with you. There's no denying Stan's level dropped off. I think his legs, they just, they were a little dead. And you could see that, again, as this match went on and on for him, 35 winners against 39 uh, 39 unforced errors. But for Zverev, I mean... You know, the big thing was, and we mentioned this a couple of pods back, it might have been a week or two ago, players who uh, have better backhands, better one-handed backhands than their forehand. And Stan's the obvious example you turn here. Well, for Stan, he couldn't hit the backhand freely. He had to stay away from the Alex Zverev backhand side. And in this match, Stan Wawrinka, three winners, four uh, four forced errors from his own one-handed backhand, 18 unforced errors on that side. So he's minus 11 there. Uh, For Zverev, you know, minus 10 on the forehand. But you look at how he did with everything else, fairly solid. Um, He just... Yeah, I think Zverev knew he had Stan physically. If he could make this match physical, he'd only played 12 sets through the first four rounds. He was going to win this match. And it's a credit to Alex Zverev, who we've seen get passive in so many Grand Slam big moments, who it's a reason he hasn't advanced past the quarterfinals. He's only made those quarterfinals at the French Open before now. Um, And then he just looked... I mean, this was... It just felt a little bit different. It wasn't just counterpunching Zverev. I thought Zverev was aggressive with the return. I thought he did a pretty solid job of moving forward 22 of 32 at the net. Uh, but at that, he was steady enough to let Wawrinka implode that he didn't you know, start pressing, that he didn't force his way over the finish line. It's a sign of growth for him for sure. I don't know about that. I mean, I understand that. I understand well, because, that. As because I understand. Of the first serve. The serve was the weapon. That's what got the job done. Sure, but I'm not sure that that is the way. I'm not sure if that is, quote, a sign of growth for him, especially, you know, especially in the later in the match you go, you understand that, right? Because it's working and you're, you can tell that you're physically wearing your opponent down. So I absolutely understand that part. In terms of that being a game style for him going forward outside of just finding a way to win, I don't like. Yeah, okay. Uh, that I can agree with. Uh, I, I mean, you can't get passive against Dominic Team because if you let him slug away, he's yes, just too Yes, he will lose. So that I understand. Killed. But you got to play the opponent across the net. Exactly. And it, and it was clear that this was a struggling Stan Wawrinka. And the, the sign of growth, I guess, really then comes from the serve. That Alex Vieira yeah. recognized, hey, I got to make my first serve. He makes 80% of them in the match. That was the recipe for victory for him, and it got the job done. Yeah, and you know, look, a lot of my sort of criticism and conversation of this, of course, is coming outside of the serve and return game. Because really, what what stood out to me most and mattered a lot when it came down to it was it was just the rally balls. Um, because the serve speaks for itself. I mean, the statistics on the Zverev side were really impressive, um, and so we know that the return. I think Zverev's always been a bit of an underrated returner, especially when he's got a huge frame, the wingspan. He's got good movement for a guy his size, um, so he's able to cause some trouble when it comes to that it was really just the rallies that stuck out to me and you know it's interesting a four set match we had in Dominic team and Nadal right and that was what roughly double the length of this match I mean this was just over two hours um, so didn't really feel like a tight four setter it was just a very odd match and, and to watch it swing from one way to the other so quickly was was weird to me that being yeah, said I... Vavrinka was in the second and third sets he was right there he was right there. He had some rough service games, and ultimately that's why he got broken. And Zverev being so solid on his own serve is what helped him. But if you if you go back and watch how many points Favrinka could have taken by not missing one more backhand or taking advantage of Zverev being nearly out of the camera frame 
and coming in and closing off a volley like a team or an Nadal would do. If you put some of those into the equation, Favrinka probably takes the second or third set. Yeah, I mean, it's close. Uh, I, I think Stan's level, yeah, towards the fourth was a little rough. Uh, end of the third, I think Zverev, I think Zverev just got him. He wore him down, and it's a credit to Alex Zverev for this level. And he, you're right, he's going to need that and more in playing a, a Dominic team who's clearly playing exceptional tennis. And that'll really be the only match we preview tomorrow. So let's save that for that podcast. Um, that being said, you know, that the men's action, only half of the quarterfinal action we saw yesterday. They were also the only matches extended an extra set. But we do want to talk about our WTA semifinalists uh, emerging yesterday. So let's start uh, with the closer of the two matches, Garbine Muguruza, a player I think we've all had circled as someone who has just played so well uh, over the course of these two weeks in Australia. She lines up against last year's semifinalist, Anastasia Pavelchenkova. And Muguruza, through, I mean, through the first, let's talk about, I guess, first set of this match, I think it was the first four service games of the first set. It was break, 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 break 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 so eight straight breaks or something crazy like that to start this one off uh, but we learned in something we've seen throughout Garbine Muguruza that six foot frame that she combines that power with that length can track down that extra ball uh, against Pavlchenkova that was enough to continue the level uh, she found her serve towards the back half of that first set and she just continues to play some really outstanding tennis Jamie yeah, look, I mean, we've we've been talking about her as the very dangerous sort of floater in the draw, being unseated, and once again, you know, we'll have to say it, not really fair being unseated, given the level that we've been able to see from her and that we've been treated to, particularly in this tournament, and very impressive as the tournament has moved on. You know, it's funny, a lot of times we look at these Infosys stat lines, right, um, you know, and listeners for us we have these nice pretty colored arrows uh, on each side so you can see who performed better who outperformed um, in terms of that particular statistic and Muguruza just dominated all of the major statistics and all the major stat lines throughout this match yeah I, I mean first of all we say it every time but this Australian website has set the standard Australian open website yeah this is impressive yeah, what do we do in other websites? Come on, let's just let's let's start coordinating because we should have these on all of these stats moving forward. It's 2020. Um, yeah, for Muguruza, look, 21 winners against 21 unforced errors. She only made 56% of her first errors, but won 75% of those points. Here are some numbers you're really gonna like, Jamie. Let's start on the second serve. Uh, for Muguruza, 11 of 28, only 39% winning percentage. That's pretty bad, right? Well, let's look on the other side. For Pavelchenkova, she goes three of 21 on second serve points. That's a 14% win percentage. And this match came down to, it's as simple as whoever got to hit the first ball that dictated won the point. And that's not to be disrespectful to either of these players. It speaks to how powerful they both are for the ground. Pavlochenkova was going for it. I mean, only 10 of 13 at the net, but she definitely worked her way forward more times than that. Uh, she was going big down the line. And to Muguruza's credit, so was she. she. That backhand, I mean, she takes it early. She goes down the line. That's her weapon. Uh, but this was just, you know, this is one of those first strike tennis matches and Muguruza just the better of the two today. Yeah, ultimately, I mean, Muguruza is getting a lot of clean looks on her return. And, you know, honestly, so is Pavlyuchenkova, right? So that's why there were so many breaks. But, yeah, you mentioned it, that first strike at a ball. Um, I mean, both of them were getting a lot of looks at second serves. And even the first serves, they were still getting clean rips on and ultimately getting to dictate the point from there. So, yeah, an interesting, I guess you could say, roller coaster of a match in terms of uh, if you were really rooting for somebody or had some money on this one. Uh, but ultimately, <laughs> Muguruza gets it done in straights, and the stats speak for themselves in that regard. Yeah. 
Well, I haven't mentioned it yet, but since you mentioned it, You're I welcome. did give out some 10-to-1 <laughs> advice, parlay advice last night. And yeah, when Muguruza and them were trading, and Pavlochenko were trading breaks at the beginning, I was like, ugh, what did I get myself into? And then I just tried to stay away from it as often as possible. But the real people, the listeners, are the winners. Hopefully, for the first time ever, you're like, you know what? That sounds like a good bet, Gruskin, because you could have had some 10-to-1 money in your pocket. Uh, but for Garby and Muguruza, I mean— What's most impressive, you know, this is someone who's won two Grand Slams, one at the French, one at Wimbledon. She finds herself at the semifinals here in Australia. Uh, it does feel like she's been around uh, for, you know, a little bit of time, but you look for Muguruza. She's only 26 years old. She doesn't turn 27 till later in the year. I mean, it's been a really, really good run from her, and you look at just the players she's beaten throughout this run, you know, Pavelchenkova, Burton, Svitolina, all straight sets over these last three matches after going three sets in her first two. I think she's still got to be fresh, and I know, you know, in her next match, and we can start talking about that now, as well as she's played, she's going to get her stiffest test next uh, in the number four seed, Simona Halep, who just continues her unbelievable form of play throughout this tournament you know as well as Muguruza's played Halep still has yet to drop a set and in this match against Annette Conteve 6-1-6-1 I mean it it, on a hard court especially a court that's playing slow like these Australian Opens it doesn't matter how big you hit the ball Uh, Simona Halep is just everywhere right now yeah I mean she's gonna track it down and that's what she did I mean this was and it's especially impressive too with that sort of game style and getting to being able to win this quickly and this convincingly. I mean, 53 minutes, one and one. In a quarterfinal. In, in a quarterfinal of a slam. Like, that is yeah. insane. And so, yeah, like you mentioned, how I've been looking so good, but seemingly just getting better and better as the tournament goes on. Well, it's twofold. A, you know, it was Annette Conteve's first Grand Slam quarterfinal. And I think outside of her holding in that first game of the first set and sort of pushing Halep as well in her first couple of service games, I think that sort of ner- the nerves sort of wore down. You could tell Conteve was pressing. I mean, she only makes 15 winners against 15 unforced errors in this match, but it just felt like she could never really find her rhythm, particularly on the serve. Halep just all over it. You know, she Conteve made 66% of her serve, but she only won 48% of her first serve points, 44% of her second serve points. That math speaks, obviously, but for Halep, she's 25 of 47, 53% of the receiving points she's winning. She's also taking care of her first serve. She's making 78% of them, winning 78% of those points. 12 winners for her against only 10 unforced errors, and that's really all she needed. She just kept extending the point further and further and further. And even when Conteve would find a short angle, even when Conteve would find a down the line, Halp tracks that ball down. She'd throw up these sky lobs or just do whatever she can to get you back. Last time I referred to it, death by a thousand knife pokes, that would kill you. But she really is death by a thousand paper cuts. It's just she is going to track down every single ball. And you can see in her confidence level, she another one of those players you always want to be the player who's playing better and better and better and better as the slam progresses and that's Simona Halep right now yeah I mean we've talked about uh, sort of the icons of our sport that's what they do right as the big tournaments go on the performance level um, the intensity the emotion just continues to exponentially increase as you reach the later stages and that's why they're so good right and and they're experienced and now you're looking at a halop who just won one and one in i don't want to say waltz to be disrespectful but let's go with waltzes into the semis right um and so now she sits there and she looks pretty good and sneak preview to our um 
nice little takes section we're going to have. Halop's a big part of mine. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, and it's not as though Halop's had a cakewalk of a draw. No. You know, Putin Seva was playing really well, 1-4 Halop. Mertens playing really well, 4-4 four four Halop. Contave playing really well. She beat Benchich 1-0, I think, earlier in the tournament, right? In uh, this one, 1-1 one one Halop. I mean, it's just... It's just ridiculous. She's making it look so easy that we really don't even have that much to discuss because it's like, yeah, 6-1-6-1. Guess what? Annette Conteve didn't do a lot right. Uh, it's not that she didn't do a lot right. It's just that, guess what? Simona Halep, she, she did everything right in this match, and that's how she emerged uh, with the victory now with Halep in mind, with Muguruza in mind. Let's get into our Day 11 preview because the story of Day 11, it's two women's semifinals as well as our first men's semifinal. We'll talk about that last, but let's start with Muguruza. Muguruza and Halep. As I mentioned, Muguruza drops sets in her first two matches. Straight set wins the rest of the way for Halep. Same sort. Uh, she has yet to drop a set. You look at these two career head-to-head. Uh, they have played only once in a slam. It was the uh, it was Roland Garros in 2018. Halep winning that match 6-1-6-4. Overall, though, Muguruza uh, holds a 3-2 and record over Halep. Uh, all of her wins coming on a hard court. Cincinnati, uh, during a Fed Cup match and in Wuhan, uh, those wins 2017, 2015, 2014. You know, Jamie, given their form, given what you've seen thus far in this tournament, who are you favoring going into this match and what do you expect it to look like? Oh, um, it just on its face value, I mean, I think I think you have to favor Halep because she's looked so good. But really, to me, this match is just going to come down to how well Muguruza is able to execute on the big shots because we know what Halep's going to bring. Um, we know she's going to get so many balls back. And if Muguruza can you know, have the shot tolerance to hit one, two, three more aggressive balls and then finish it off, she's going to be in good shape. Um, the yeah. problem is Halep gets so many balls back and makes it so difficult, right? That's when you see players start to overhit, hit toward the lines, um, get frustrated, and ultimately that will be a part of their demise. So it's really going to come down to Muguruza, and ultimately it's going to be on her racket. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, for uh, Muguruza, you know, in Svitolina, she played someone somewhat similar uh, to Halep in Burton, someone somewhat similar, but Simona Halep is an entire different monster, and again, you look at their late, uh, Muguruza knocked off Halep 1-0 and in the Cincinnati final in 2017, Halep again returned that favor at the French Open 2018, beating her 1-4, and uh, but you just look at the level of play, and I have to say, uh, Simona Halep's just, I think she's played a little bit better. I think Garbine Muguruza has been able, you know, she knocks off uh, Pavlchenkova, but I just think Halep's going to do a little bit better of retrieving. I just think she's going to keep forcing Muguruza to make that extra ball. And I also just think Simona Halep's playing as well as anyone in, uh, just playing better than anyone in this tournament that we've seen. And so, yeah, I just think on recency by, she hasn't dropped the set yet. She's given me no reason to doubt her. I probably am going to roll with Simona Halep. I just, no matter, you know, Muguruza will certainly hit some winners. Uh, she's, you know, Halep struggled on the second serve today against Conteve. Muguruza is going to give her those same sorts of problems. But I just think Simona Halep is the player to beat. And regardless, you look at these two, both of them, again, two-time slam champions at the French Open at Wimbledon. The winner of this is going to get a shot to already knock off three of the four slams uh, under their belt. And so that that's crazy to think about, the implications of this match potentially. So it's going to be a really fun semifinal, no doubt. Yeah, absolutely. And like you mentioned, big-time implications. The chance for both of them to get into the finals here and grab an Australian Open title definitely going to add to the nerves on this one i think at least if you're muguruza the thing you got you know 
you know what's going to happen in this match because you've played Halep, you've seen Halep, you've seen her form. You know a lot of this is going to be on you. I think the biggest thing to keep in mind from a positive standpoint for Muguruza, though, is that you are never out of this match because, like you mentioned, she's going to get so many looks off the serve to break back. Um, she's always going to have an opportunity. It's just going to come down to if she can execute it or not. Yeah, I, I think that's completely fair. So it's going to be, again, a really fun one, and that one is later tonight, I think, 11.30. Our first semifinalist features the number one player in the world, Ashley Barty, who's going to be taking on uh, young American Sophia Kennan. Now, you look for these two players for Barty. She's dropped uh, two sets along the way against Ali Risk in the fourth round against Serenko in her first round match, but looked awfully impressive in her 7-6-6-2 quarterfinal uh, rematch win over Petra Kvitova, the finalist who knocked her out last year. Uh, for Sophia Kennan, she's dropped only one set. It was that 7-6 fourth round set to Coco Golf in the first. Other than that, she she's really only played, um, actually has not played a single seed in this tournament thus far. You look at the career head-to-head between Barty and Kennan, they played uh, four times last year, Barty winning three of the four. Uh, she beat her in Wuhan. She beat her at the French Open round of 16 in three sets, and she beat her in Fed Cup play. Kennan did get a win over Barty, though, on a hard court. It was in Canada, round of 32. Kennan, a 6-7, 6-3, 6-4 winner. I love this matchup, Jamie, because I think the way to beat Sophia Kennan is to hit her off a court, and Ashley Barty does a lot of things well, but I don't think she's going to have power to overwhelm Kennan. I just think the diversity of shot selection, the angles we're going to see, the various tools at display here, this is going to be, my advice is don't bet on a winner, take the over because I see three sets in this one. Yeah, I mean, you could be totally right. I think this is a very interesting matchup, right? I mean, there's there's going to be a lot of nerves at play here, especially for Kennan coming into this one. Of course, Ash Barty going to have a ton of crowd support, um, given the fact that it's just um, the magnitude of this match, right? The semi on Rod Laver Arena, she has the home crowd. There's a lot of different factors at play in this one. I think stylistically, you're right. It is a very interesting matchup, particularly from what we've seen in, in what Ash Barty has played in the last couple of rounds, like Kvitova. Um I don't know on this one. I think you got to lean Ash Barty in terms of a favorite, but a lot of wiggle room in this one. Yeah, it, it, here's the thing. Ashley Barty has been to a Grand Slam semifinal before, and Sophia Kennan has looked fearless. Uh, she stayed so steady, but she's never been in a Grand Slam semifinal against a hometown player. You know, we are in Australia. If this was at, you know, in New York, maybe it's a different story, but it is in Australia. That crowd is going to be pulling for Barty like no other. And she's the experienced player. She's a Grand Slam champion in both singles and doubles. She's been on that stage. She should be comfortable there. That, you know, if it's going to be a blowout one way, it'll be a Barty blowout. I don't see a Kennan blowout scenario really feasible. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do expect this match to go three sets. I am with you. I'm probably leaning slightly towards Barty. Yep. Yeah, I think that's fair. All right, let's move on then to our last match of the day. They're sneaking in one men's semifinal, and since they snuck it in at the back end, I'm going to sneak in some Dominic team stats I forgot to mention earlier. Uh, from Enrico uh, Enrico Riva, Dominic team becomes the second player ever to beat Nadal in five consecutive years. Can you guess, guess the other guy to do it? Beating Nadal in five consecutive years, just at any time, Grand Slam, or is it? Anytime. Mm. Djokovic. 
Djokovic has had a six-year streak, 2011 to 2016. All right, for another stat for him. Dominic Team, 7-2 and two against the big three in the past 12 months. 3-0 and mm-hmm. against Fed, 2-1 and one against Djokovic, 2-1 and one against Nadal. Also, last one, this was the first time Rafa Nadal lost three tiebreakers in the same match. It happened once to Federer, the 2017 Wimbledon final, and it has never happened to Novak Djokovic. That's a, all pretty interesting numbers, all cool things for Dominic Team. Yeah, I mean that is interesting. Uh, I would love whatever database spreadsheets is being used for that uh, those stat lines because man, think of all the things you could filter in and out of there. It's like getting to ESPN baseball stats, my man. Yeah, yeah, I know. All I'm saying is we keep saying when is this next gen? When is this you know Grigor Gen going to overtake the big three? Very quietly, Dominic Team seven and two against the big three. I'm not saying yep. he's overtaking them. We obviously need to see it at the majors. Uh, but that is a pretty good stat line. It's that's impressive. about as yeah, that's about as good as it gets. Unfortunately, we will not be talking about Dominic Team and Alex Zverev. We will be seeing them tomorrow night. Tonight, we get the matchup we have all seen oh so many times: Djokovic and Federer, round number fifty. Uh, oh my God, it's their fiftieth match. That is actually a crazy thought thus far. Djokovic twenty six and twenty three in their careers. No secrets between these guys. The last time they played, Federer knocked out Djokovic four and three in the Nitto ATP Finals. Of course, the last time they played at a major, 13-12, Djokovic fights off match points to win Wimbledon. Federer looked gassed against Sandgren, and I think had he had two days off, which is what I expected, I thought they were going to play the men's semifinals tomorrow, uh, the women's today, and honestly, if you're Roger Federer, you're like, that's a great idea. Why aren't we doing that? Um, But I just, I don't see, you know, Raj has pulled out so much Raj as if I know him has pulled out so much greatness over these you know 20 years of tennis I just don't know if he can I just don't see it tonight the 38 year old if you're 38 years old your legs hurt you just played the most you know fit you've played back-to-back such physical matches or three out of four whatever it is and now you have to play Novak Djokovic I'd be like look just give me the semifinals check I'm not winning this one yeah it's tough right I mean you look at Roger Federer we talked about how you know amazing it was that he came up with those wins the escape artist right um problem is that was against Milman and Sandgren and you know not to be disrespectful but now it's Djokovic right so the magnitude of uh, the I don't know just the challenge that he has ahead of him is just so much greater at this point especially given the physicality of his past matches particularly the one against tennis Sandgren I mean He's going to have to pull out some magic to win this. Um, and I think he knows that. He knows he cannot make this a physical contest at all, or he will lose. I mean, Djokovic has to go into this match feeling really good. Just like Djokovic is like, hey, if I play my game, odds are I'm going to win this big time. It's tough to envision a scenario where Roger wins this. Um, I think he knows he's going to have to go big. Unfortunately, I think what's probably going to happen is Federer will just get lured into a ton of errors, and that's how Djokovic wins. But if Federer really commits to just slapping and he happens to catch fire you never know yeah look Djokovic hasn't dropped a set since the first round Federer played a five-set match a four-set match and a five-set match in his last three matches um you know two of them against Sandgren and Milman are just poor man's Novak Djokovic's and I say that just in terms of the way physically they wanted to wear down Roger Federer um not in you know they're obviously both incredible players uh Yeah, I I don't have much to add. We know what Roger Federer has to do to play well. He's one of maybe three people in the world who can hit Novak Djokovic off a tennis court. Expect a lot of serving volleys. Expect him to try and keep points as short as possible. Also expect a Novak Djokovic straight set win, in my opinion, right? 
yeah and this actually well yeah i mean i think so unless you have anything else on this nope perfect um, get us into good take this leads to yeah this leads me into takes and this is actually going to be my final take but given the conversation we're going to go ahead to uh just skip ahead to that take federer will win a set good take bad take hot take west off give me a good take bad take hot take sound effect please and start us off with a bad take i mean look again Two days off, not bad take. It's a fine take. It's an understandable take. He's the great one. Uh, he, are you telling me he can hold serve six times in a set and win a tiebreaker? Sure, he could probably do that on one leg on any given day. He just hits enough aces to get the job done. Um, but man, I, there's no one you want to play with Novak more or less. Maybe maybe other than Rafa uh, with sore legs than Novak Djokovic. You're just like ugh. Like, really? You had to neutralize another serve? You couldn't just give me that one? Um, So, I have to say bad take, although it's very possible. Yeah, no, I mean, that's fair. I just figured it fits right in, so I had to say it. (laughs) No, that's a good one. Um, I like it. All right, my good take, bad take, hot take. To anyone who watched Dominic Team and Rafa Nadal, that was a loud one. There was a lot of grunting. But my take, the grunting level in Team Nadal was justified given how hard it looks like they turn into each and every shot. Like, if I was turning that hard, the sound that would come out of me would just be disgusting. I mean, I'm fine with it. Yeah, it doesn't bother me. I mean, especially we've put up with much worse over the years, so it doesn't bother me. I'm fine with that. Good take? Yeah, good take. I mean, I would honestly, even even if they weren't hitting as hard as they were, I would still think it's justified. I mean, look, you're battling for a spot in the semis at the Australian Open. Do whatever you want. I mean, come on. I don't care. Yeah, that's fair. All right, you got anything else for me? Yeah. So, all right, I have two versions of the same question. One's on the men's side, one's on the women's side. Which do you want to start with? Let's start with the women. Okay. If you were to reseed the women's semifinals, mm. Sorry, tell me if this on. is good take, bad take, or hot take. One, Halep. Two, Muguruza. Three, Barty. Four, Kennan. Wow. First of all, it's a good take just by proxy of the question. Fantastic take. This is definitely the clip Westoff's cutting. Um, uh, wow. Halep won for sure. Yeah. Good take. Yeah. The 2-3 debate is hard. No, Ken in four as well just by experience. Yeah. I agree. Good yeah. take. The 2-3 debate is where it gets ah. difficulty. That's where I put the dicey one in there. <laughs> so so that's a, it's a bad take because Ashley Barty's at home. And so just by proxy of getting a home crowd advantage from a Grand Slam semifinal onwards, that's one of the rarest things for any player to experience other than Roger Federer, who is a home crowd everywhere he goes. Um, so that I would put Barty 2, Muguruza 3. I also put Muguruza 3 because she has to beat uh, you know Halep first. But it's not, a, it's not a horrible take. I just would switch 2 and 3. I uh, I knew that was gonna. I mean, that's obviously the the debate point yeah. right there. I just figured I'd put in Muguruza to see what I could get out of you. <laughs> no, it's a but good one. Now on the men's side, because really same question, right? Yes, on the say, yeah. So, do you want me to read, or do you want you want to do yours first? I'm I'm gonna guess. I'm gonna have okay. you saying it's gonna be Djokovic teams Virev Federer, and that's yeah. the correct take. Yep. All right, yeah. that's good. That's a good take. Yep. I mean, yeah. Fed at four. I think we're both in agreement at at this point. Zverev at three because team's level's been so good, especially um, what we saw from before. him. And he's been there before. And then Djokovic at one because it's Djokovic and he's looked so yeah. good. I agree. All right, last one for you, and then we can wrap up. Good take, bad take, hot take. Since betting is in, here's my bet for the night: Ashley Barty over Kennan. 
Simona Halep over Muguruza, Novak Djokovic over Federer. Now, since those lines give you essentially nothing, I had to throw in two doubles teams. I'm taking Ram and Salisbury over Bublik and Kukushkin, and I'm taking Maddox Sands and Jamie Murray over the former college players Astra Sharma and J.P. Smith. Good take, $10 to win 30 Good take, bad take, hot take. So that parlay there is, is still 3-1, to one, even yeah. though that it's all 5 mm. Yeah, I mean, I think that's fine. Obviously, the more matches you throw in there, particularly when you get into doubles, the dicier it gets. Um, I'm honestly I mean, most nervous about Bublik Kokushka. Yeah, I mean, I think they, they, yeah, they could show up, right? They could show up and win one for sure. I mean, you always talk about Bublik when it comes to the serve. Um, yeah, I mean, I think if you're going to take that, I think those are the right matches to pick. Now, whether I would bet on a 3-1 parlay of five matches is a whole nother discussion, but um, <laughs> if you're going to do it, yeah, that's probably the correct way yeah, to do it. I would say today's probably a stay away, but yeah, um, yeah that, that was just to give people an option in case they're keeping track fair. at it's home. Um, yeah, all right then. On that note, obviously, uh, another day of Australian Open coverage in the book. If you've missed out on anything, be sure to go check out our website, crackrackets.com, where you can find each and every one of the mini breaks Jamie and I have been fortunate enough to do this week. And of course, I say fortunate because we wouldn't be able to do them without our friends at Diadem Tennis, their rackets, their string technology, bringing us all into the modern age of tennis. Uh, and we think you'll enjoy them. You use our promo code CR50, you get 50% off your first order. I also want to give a shout out to our friends at Aerobar, the first tennis-specific energy bar. Don't eat that other garbage. Just switch to Aerobar already. Use our promo code CRACKED30. Get 30% off your order there. Shout out to our super producers as well, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, who not only have a f***ing editing job to do, but it's because it's not just the podcast that they're editing, uh, but you know, social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, all of the different things, the website, CrackedRackets.com, the Great Shot podcast where we just recap the men's ITA kickoff weekend, the Cracked Interviews podcast. We were fortunate enough to sit down once again with Braden Schnur, talk about his 2019 season, really uh, the di- biggest difference he's learned between the pro and top levels of the college games, uh, and of course why he thinks there needs to be an ATP Players Union, which is something that we will certainly be talking about a lot throughout this decade of tennis. Jamie, before we wrap, any final thoughts? Federer, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously. Uh yeah, I, I, if you're Roger Federer, take like two shots of whiskey before you go out there. Maybe not whiskey, that might not sit too well, but like vodka. And just be like, I, I'm playing loose tonight. Mm, yeah, that's great advice. You should tell him. Actually, I'll well, just I'll DM on Twitter. Yeah, I'll true tell or him. Fa- hey. I, true or false, when we did our live show, my back was shot. And so you guys just got me hammered. And like, I couldn't, I, I, do I remember much from that live show? No, not really, but I was loose. Mm. Yeah, that's that's that is the perfect parallel to draw for the semi on Rod Laver Arena. You're right. Good take. <laughs> well, then, yeah, one last hot take for you. Well, then, for my wonderful co-host James Foster McDonald, our super producers Fligner and Westoff, our sponsors at Diadem and Aerobar, and everyone here at Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell everyone? That's a break. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. 